0: in Ballyrachian. It's lovely to see you all this morning and we extend a very special word of welcome to the family and friends of Lindsay and Tim McDonald. Uh, this morning Lindsay and Tim are presenting their daughter Sadie for baptism and it's always uh, a joy to share in these <laughs> special occasions together. So if you, are, if you are visiting with us this morning you are most welcome. And we welcome also those who are watching at home through our our DVD ministry or listening online to the service this morning. I just want to highlight one announcement this morning, and it's for members of our Youth Fellowship. The date of the Youth Fellowship weekend has been changed. uh, and We've had to to move uh, to March of next year, and the date of the weekend will be the 6th to the 8th of March and still heading to Greenhill YMCA uh, down in Newcastle. So that's the 6th to the 8th of March. Now we are limited to 15 spaces and if you would like to come along for the, the Youth Fellowship Weekend then please forward a deposit of £20 on or before Sunday the 10th of November. Uh, just to keep you right that announcement is in the bulletin there um, this morning. We've come this morning to worship God and worship is, is not merely singing and praying, but it is also resting. God created seven days. For six of those days, we are to labor. But on the seventh day, God gave the specific command that we rest and that we rest in him. And Jesus himself is, is all too aware that we need rest and he desires that each of us we find rest in Him. For He said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So allow this next hour to be a time when you, you set aside the things of daily life and come and find rest for your souls. And this morning, and, and on behalf of our, our church family, we extend. Our Christian sympathies to Diana and Norman McClelland on the death of Diana's brother Jack. And assure you and Jack's wife and all the family of our ongoing prayerful support at this time. We worship God as we stand to sing, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. we continue to worship as we unite our hearts in prayer. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence this morning. Lord, humbly acknowledging you as King of all kings, we bow before a loving King, a King who has given his life as a ransom for his chosen people. But we bow not only before you as our King, but also as our Saviour. For you alone are the one who has come to save us from our sins. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to to see our need of you this morning. Help us to see that we all need a Saviour, for we have sinned against you. Help us to see that, that you came and lived and died for our sins, dying in our place, that you died for our sins, that you died as a sacrifice for our sins, and that by trusting in your death, we receive forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. And Lord, we know that it is only, only by your Spirit that these things can be revealed to us. It is only by your spirit that that we are convicted of sin and, and come to see our need of the Savior. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would you would come. That you would open our eyes and reveal to us our need of Jesus this morning. And help us to see Jesus for who he truly is. That he is the one who, who cares for us infinitely more than any other, that he is the one who brings peace to our troubled minds, who brings calm in the days of the storms, that he is a constant friend, always there to lead and guide, never to judge or to bring condemnation, always ready to forgive and to wipe the slate clean once more. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray, come and show us Jesus. And in showing us him, help us to see once more that our hope is in him, that he has given us promises that that cannot be broken, the promise never to leave us nor forsake us, the promise that, that he is with us even to the very end of the age, the promise that when we have accepted him as Lord of our lives, that we are his and that he is ours and, and 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 no one can snatch us out of his hands help us father to see and to know these things this day speak to us through your word bless us with the words of the hymns that we sing fill our hearts with with joy and gladness once more so that Lord, we would have a a song to sing and a story to tell which lifts high the name of Jesus. Lord, hear our prayers, for we pray in and through that name, the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. We stand again and worship God, unite our hearts and voices as we sing hymn number 408, In Christ Alone my hope is found.
1: In Christ alone, my hope is found.
0: He is my light, my strength, my soul,
1: this cornerstone.
0: morning we are continuing our our study in the book of Acts, and this morning our reading is taken from Acts chapter 9 and beginning at the second half of verse 19. You'll find it on page 1103 in the Pew Bibles, and I would encourage you to to turn with me to God's Word. You remember how on the last occasion we we looked at the, the conversion of Saul and how Saul went from being someone who was was trying to persecute the church, uh, he was visited by Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it was a life-changing encounter. As he went on to give his life to Christ and was baptised, and then we take up the reading uh, um, just immediately after this reading from verse nineteen, second part of verse nineteen, beginning. Saul spent several days. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learnt of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch in the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And high in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learnt of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace It was strengthened. And encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Amen, and we trust that God will add His blessing to this reading of His Word. The Bible teaches that baptism, and we're coming shortly to, uh, to baptize a little Sadie, the Bible teaches that baptism is God's sign of salvation. Uh, it was the Lord Jesus who instructed us to baptize Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. In the Old Testament, circumcision was the sign of, of God's blessing of salvation promised in the covenant with Abraham. In the New Testament, baptism is a sign of the new covenant of salvation in Christ. And just in the same way that that water, as we wash, water makes us clean, so baptism pictures how God, through Jesus Christ, can make our our entire lives clean by forgiving our sins and by giving us new life. It is a sign and pledge that our lives are built on Christ and that he is our Lord and Saviour. Presbyterians believe that it is appropriate for Christian parents to have their child baptised because of God's covenant with Abraham. The sign of the covenant of circumcision was given not only to Abraham who believed, but also to Abraham's children and the children of Israel. We believe that in the New Testament, the promises of the covenant, the old covenant, are extended into the new covenant and now extended to all true believers and to their children. Baptism does not mean the child immediately becomes a Christian, nor are they saved. Although salvation is promised in time, children must trust and believe in Jesus Christ for themselves. And that's why we pray for them. When believing believing parents have their children baptised, they are publicly declaring they are committed Christians and that they want their child to come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way and grow up to serve him an infant baptism is given on the basis of the qualifications of the parent not the qualifications of the child it is the parent's relationship with God which is important what is required of parents is a credible profession of faith that is a profession accompanied by some understanding of the Christian faith a lifestyle Uh, in accordance with Christian values and public commitment to the worshiping Christian community baptism is a wonderful sign of God's grace but God's grace places an obligation on us we are to keep his covenant not in order to earn his love but to show our gratitude and to find his will for our lives Baptism is a, is a sacrament and privilege for those who are part of the Christian family. And that is why parents who request baptism for their child must trust in Christ for themselves and accept the privileges and the responsibilities of church membership. So I'd like to now invite Tim and Lindsay and Alana and Sadie. And is Cameron going to join us? Cameron, you, Cameron, are you coming up, son? You going to come up as well? No? That's okay. Okay, Tim and Lindsay, if you would like to come and stand beside me here. I took one look at Sadie earlier on and she just, she just totally blanked me and turned away and hasn't looked at me since, so if you didn't like the look of me, you're not going to like what I'm going to do to you now, so we're not. So mom and dad, all right, Lana. Now you know that it is the, the duty of those who bring their children for infant baptism to profess your own faith publicly and to claim a like faith for your little one. That's you. (laughs) It is also your duty to promise to bring up your child in the Christian faith and to teach them the standards and the values of the Christian way of life. Here he comes. Come on, Cameron. You taking a shortcut? It is to teach them the standards and values of the Christian way of life so that along with the help and encouragement of this congregation, your little one, little ones, But today, Sadie, your little one will grow up to accept the Lord Jesus as their own personal Savior and Lord. So first of all, a profession of your faith. Tim and Lindsay, in presenting your child for Christian baptism, do you confess your own faith in God as your Heavenly Father, in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and in the Holy Spirit as your Sanctifier and Guide? Secondly then, is a promise to teach your child the Christian way of life. Do you promise, with the help of Almighty God, to teach your child the truth and duties of the Christian faith, and by prayer, teaching, and example, to bring your child up in the nurture and the discipline of the Lord? Okay. And as members uh, of the congregation, can I please invite you to stand? As members of this, uh, of members of, as members of the congregation. This sacrament of infant baptism lays solemn obligations on us. So as a sign of our willingness to accept Siri into our congregational family, we say together the vow on the screen. As part of her Christian family, we give thanks for the gift of Siri and we welcome her into our fellowship. We promise to teach her about God, her Heavenly Father, and to help her walk in the ways of Jesus Christ, so that she may always love the Lord. No, come here, Pat. There we go. Hello. You okay. You want to sit up, do you? You want to see what's happening? Is that what it is? What's in there? Okay. You see what's happening? This happened to you one day as well, but you don't remember. Sadie. Nora and MacDonald. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And may the blessing of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest, remain, and abide with you both this day and forevermore. Amen. Aren't you great? Now we're going to stay here because we're going to sing Okay, we're going to sing that, the words of that lovely blessing, uh, the words of the ironic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. <laughs> well done. I'll keep her.
1: Okay. I'm keeping her.
0: Congregation, please be seated. Well done. Take a breath. And just just before you go, uh, on behalf of our church family here in Ballyrishian, I would like to present you with this um, copy of God's Word, our our candle uh, Bible for kids, uh, and in the hope that you read it to Sadie and that one day she will come to read it and will trust in the Lord as her own personal Savior. What's, What's that, Cameron? Noah's Ark. You see that? I give that to Dali. Great. You. Okay, folks. Thank you. Okay, thank you. You can take your seats. Bye. Just before the the children uh, leave for Sunday school and little fishes, we're going to stand and sing our hymn, hymn number 375, Our Children, Lord, in Faith and Prayer. continue in our uh, our worship as we bring our offering your offering will now be received loving God, you call us and command us to pray for our leaders, uh, Lord, to remember those who uh, are set over us. Uh, So now we pray for for all those, Lord, in positions of authority. We pray for those in Parliament, both in government and in opposition. Lord, in all their, their decisions, at this time, this crucial time, Father, give them a a proper sense of the responsibility which has been entrusted to them, and grant that they may work, Lord, not for themselves, but for the good of all. Lord, we pray for our Queen and the Royal Family. Lord, help them to cope with the constant glare of publicity and, and media interest, for they are only human like the rest of us we pray that you would help them to use their positions wisely offering inspiration and encouragement to the nation at this time we pray father for those in our police force Lord, with all the dangers and and the difficulties that their work involves Lord, give them integrity and courage and patience and resolve and, and father grant them your strength and protection Lord, we pray for head teachers, for teaching staff, for lecturers and and all those involved in in education, Lord, those who are entrusted with with shaping the lives of of young people and our young people. Lord, give them insight and and understanding. Lord, give them the ability to communicate their knowledge in in a way that enthuses their students. Father, we pray for... Our church leaders, we pray for ministers, for our neighbouring congregations, we pray for ministers, for elders, for deacons, for deaconesses, for all those entrusted with positions of, of oversight and, and those who are called to teach the faith through word and deed. Lord, grant them vision and, and discernment, a, a, a living knowledge of your presence and a, Lord a daily sense of your guidance. Living God, we thank you for those, all those who are willing to take on the often heavy burden of responsibility. Lord, we pray that you would support them in their work and Lord, help them to to fulfill their their calling faithfully, recognizing that the day will come when they and we have to answer, Lord, to a, a higher authority and when you will pronounce your verdict on all. And gracious God, you have taught us. You have taught us and shown us that it is in giving that we receive, that in denying ourselves that we discover true riches. So now we bring these gifts, seeking, Lord, no reward except to know you better and to serve you more faithfully. For in that, and you've shown us, for in that is, is fullness of life. Lord, hear our prayers. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand again and sing hymn number 402. Here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. And of course, that love is the love of God which has been demonstrated through Christ's death on the cross. Let us stand to sing. My favourite novels of all time has to be uh, Les Miserables by French uh, author Victor Hugo. And the story in Les Les Miserables begins in in 1815 and finishes in June of 1832 during the rebellion in Paris. And it is a book uh, which is is really quite quite hard to define. It's got history, uh, philosophy, it's got love, hate war and peace and all uh, um, all of these things mixed in together but weaving its way through these themes is the story of the two two of the main characters jean valjean and police inspector javert jean valjean uh, as seen on the on the right uh, who has been imprisoned for for simply stealing a loaf of bread has served his sentence and has been released But very quickly breaks the condition of his parole and Javert then sets out on a journey to capture Jean Valjean and throw him once again into prison. And so begins this this cat and mouse chase which carries uh, carries on right through the near 1,400 pages. Jean Valjean has become a reformed man after an encounter with a, a, a bishop in a small French mountain village. But his change in character does not prevent Javert from his relentless pursuit. He is obsessed, mind-numbingly obsessed with capturing Jean Valjean. And without spoiling the end of the story, if if indeed you ever intend reading the book, Javert comes to his senses and Valjean is is allowed to live out his days. And it reminds me of of another character who was obsessed with capturing, imprisoning, and even putting to death those who were who were not guilty of their supposed crimes. Saul. Saul was a man whose purpose in life, his goal in life, was to destroy Christianity by systematically setting out to destroy the lives of individual Christians. But he comes to his senses. And we know from the last time that we looked at Acts that it was not in something that he did, but in everything that Jesus did. And he had this miraculous, this miraculous encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it would, it would quite simply throw on its head everything that Saul had ever believed about his life. He has an encounter with the living Jesus. He has an encounter with grace and when you and I, when we are faced with both these things, they will transform us. As Paul would later go on to write, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And we see the, the, the beginnings of this, this process of, of transformation in these very early days of this, this new convert to Christianity. And what I would like to do this morning for the next, the next 20 minutes or so is look specifically at what those things were and determine what we can learn from them. And the place that we need to start is Paul's conversion, his conversion. Paul is blinded by the light. Paul's conversion demonstrates to us that, that God is the God of the unexpected. He is the God of the unexpected. God doesn't uh, do things or plan things the way you and I do. His ways often don't make any sense to us. Therefore, this it frees us from having to, to question and to understand how God works, firstly, in, in the world in general, and secondly, in the lives of his children. And what this also means is that God works in... In and through what we perceive to be good in life, as well as bad in life, and what God does here in His His infinite wisdom and and knowledge is take the most unexpected, the, okay, the most unexpected and unlikeliest of men, at the time the greatest enemy of the church, and He turns his life around in such a way that he will become the greatest advocate for the church. And even the way in, in which he, uh, he, he, he does it goes somewhat against our, our understanding of, of nature. Paul is blinded by the light. Of course, God has created light to help us see in the darkness. You go into a dark room, you switch on the light, you can see. But on this occasion, his use of light is so intense that it blinds Paul. A wonder of God is that we cannot understand Him. We cannot understand His ways. And part of the application of this is that if you cannot, if you cannot understand or comprehend eternity, which none of us can, or if you cannot understand or comprehend uh, heaven, what will heaven be like? If you can't comprehend or understand living forever in a place with God and what that will look and feel like, well, then that's okay because we're not supposed to. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, wrote, But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. We can't understand God. But here's what's coming next. For if they they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Which basically means, in our own words, we can't understand what God has prepared for us. We can't understand, even begin to comprehend What heaven will be like. We can't understand heaven. And we can't understand it quite simply because our brains just don't have the capacity to begin to understand. One of the ways I like to, to think about how we have we have an acute awareness of eternity harks back to when we were children. I was convinced, totally convinced. That there were monsters living in my wardrobe. I was convinced that that elves and fairies could could most certainly be living down at the, the bottom of the garden and that the tooth fairy, the tooth fairy had the strength to get under my pillow at night and leave a pound coin in place of a tooth. I was very lucky I got a pound coin. But heaven is a real place. And in essence, to reassure ourselves that it is real and that one day some of us will go there, all God asks of us is to have a childlike faith and simply believe. So here's what I would say. Don't, don't torture yourself. And I know some of the young people, they, 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 they ask me this question, what oh, will heaven be like? And they have images of clouds and angels with harps and it will be a very boring place. And that's the image that sometimes is portrayed. But don't torture yourself trying to figure out what heaven will be like. Instead, allow God to so fill your heart with a knowledge of it that one day you will experience it in all its glory. And then let that, let that be what drives you closer to it each and every day that you live. The second thing we learn uh, from this event is that we cannot come to the conclusion that a particular individual is is outside of the realms of conversion and salvation. We can't ever say that person, oh, they'll never be saved. And therefore, this should lead us to to dream and act and, and to pray for people who, like Saul was, are so far from God that the world thinks they will never come to know him. That's the first thing. The second thing is, though, is that it also highlights to us a problem. And it's a problem that has been present within the church from its beginnings. And the problem is that there are many religious people in church, many people who who know and to a certain degree understand the Scriptures. Paul was the perfect example of this. He was a Hebrew. He He was brought up. Uh, to, to recite and to learn by memory passages of the Old Testament he knew his Bible he knew the Old Testament in and out but the problem was that he didn't know he didn't know the God of the Bible and that is still a problem today in our churches many people believe that they are right with God They come to church, they they sing and and they join in prayer and they do the same things that everybody else does. The problem though is that there is no connection with Jesus. Listen and read along uh, to what Jesus says recorded in John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. This, This very clear image. He's the vine, we're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me... You can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So Jesus gives us this uh, this image of of a grapevine. And he is the he is the the source and and the body of the vine. And as God's creation, we are the branches that extend from that vine. We we live and breathe and exist because of Jesus. But however, if we decide that, that we no longer wish to be a part of that vine, then we are removed from the source. We are removed from Christ and we are thrown into the fire. We wither and we're thrown into the fire which of course is symbolic of hell. That's the point that Jesus is making. Now I'm going to get really personal here. I'm going to get personal and I'm going to ask you to seriously consider something. Are you, as far as you can tell, are you a branch of the vine that is Jesus? Is your life grafted into him? Do you live every day in the knowledge that your life is not your own? That Christ is your Savior? That you have repented of your sins and said Lord Jesus come into my life I surrender my life to you be my Lord save me from my sins fill me with the Holy Spirit that I may live in and through and for you and you alone. Because if you have not done that then your life is like that of a branch cut from a vine. You're dying. And one day, like the gardener who who gathers and takes those dead branches and throws them into the fire, Scripture tells us that also you will be cast, we will be cast into the fire. But for the branch which is is grafted into the life-giving source that is Jesus, you will go on living. You will go on living for all eternity in the presence of your Lord and Savior because Christ is alive. The vine is alive and a branch connected to that vine can never die. And I tell you this because as Paul wrote to the church in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now sadly, Sadly, there are pastors and ministers who clearly are ashamed of the gospel because they never preach it. I served for a number of years under one such minister and every Sunday, every Sunday I would pray before the service, maybe today Lord. Maybe today is the day when he tells them about Jesus, of how he died for their sins, of how we need to come to him for for salvation. But it never came. It never came. And generations have sat under a ministry where the people have not been told the true message of the gospel. And through that, I vowed that I would never do that. I would never do it because... God will call me to a higher degree of judgment because of his call on my life to be a minister of his word. And Paul even writes to the church in Rome, in Corinth, Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. And he says, Woe to me! Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And likewise, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And secondly, I would never do it because, quite simply, you mean too much to me to not know the truth. This is the truth. And you need Jesus. Paul needed Jesus. And when he encountered him, he surrendered his life to him. The third thing we learn from this is seen through the actions of Barnabas. And this is be an encourager. We read from verse 26, when he, that's Paul, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of the Lord. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Now, that, that was a tough call for Barnabas. Paul has set out from Jerusalem intent on imprisoning the apostles' brothers and sisters as he goes to Damascus, but here he is, okay? Here he is returning, claiming to be a disciple himself. And, of course, you can understand why they were afraid of him. They stood and watched as he held the coats while their, their brother Stephen was stoned to death. They were afraid of him because they thought he was bluffing, that he was a spy. And that as soon as, as, soon as he, he got close enough, he would send in the troops and, and have them all arrested. So it was a tough call for Barnabas to convince the apostles that Paul was genuine. What an encouragement, the only person, what an encouragement this would have been to Paul as an infant believer in the faith. You know, it doesn't doesn't take a lot to be an encouragement, and a little encouragement can go a long way. And sadly, some people, and perhaps people in church who think that they have others' best interests at heart, are actually first-class discouragers. They are the sort of people who wish that that everyone else could change so that they don't have to let me read and the words will be on the screen let me read the words words which are etched into the tomb of a bishop of westminster abbey who died in the year 1100 a.d and here's what's written when i was young and free and my imagination had no limits i dreamt of changing the world as i grew older and wiser and realized the world would not change I shortened my sights somewhat and decided to change only my country. But it too seemed immovable. As I grew into my twilight years, I settled on changing only my family and those closest to me. But alas, they would have none of it. Now as I lay on my deathbed and I suddenly realise that if I only changed myself first, then by example I could perhaps have changed my family. And from their inspiration and encouragement to me I would have been better able to help my country and from there I may even have been able to change the world. And you see the world, the world needs encouragers. There's so much discouragement about it at the minute but the world needs encouragers. Our church needs encouragers. Let us strive as Barnabas was, to be a people who encourage one another, who get alongside one another, who who build up one another in the faith. Be an encourager. The final thing this morning is seen in what Luke records in the closing verses of our text. So Saul stayed with them. That's the brothers in Jerusalem. Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learnt of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Now People ask the question, how can the church, how can we, the church how can we be relevant in the 21st century well the answer is very simple and it is preach the gospel that is what we are called to do and when we say the church that doesn't simply mean the minister of any given church because the church is the people you are the church you are the church. And if you want to make a difference in this world, if you want to be, to be used by God, if you want to see lives changed, then simply preach the gospel. Talk to people about Jesus. Because a day might come when we are, are no longer at liberty as we are today to share about Jesus. That day might come. So let's take every opportunity to share about him before it's too late. So what about Jean Valjean? What was it that, that turned him from a violent, angry criminal into a grace-filled, godly example of mercy? Early on in the story of Les Miserables, after Valjean has been released from prison, he wanders the roads and, and the mountain paths. Eventually, he finds himself in a small village, helplessly, laying outside the house of the local bishop and the bishop takes him in he feeds him a warm feed of dinner and he provides him with a warm bed to sleep in but during the night valjean steals the bishop's silver and he makes off with it only to be caught by the local police let me read what happened next the door opened A strange fierce group appeared on the threshold, three men were holding a fourth by the collar. The three men were gendarmes, police, the fourth Jean Valjean. A brigadier of gendarmes who appeared to head the group was near the door. He advanced towards the bishop giving a military salute. Monsieur, said he. At this word Jean Valjean, who was sullen and seemed entirely cast down, raised his head with a stupefied air. Monsieur, he murmured, then it is not the the curie. Silence, said a gendarme, it is Monsieur the Bishop. In the meantime, Monsieur Bienvenu had approached as quickly as his great age permitted. That's the Bishop. Ah, there you are, he said, looking towards Jean Valjean. I am glad to see you, but I gave you the candlesticks also, which are silver like the rest and would bring 200 francs. Why did you not take them along with your plates? Jean Valjean opened his eyes and looked at the bishop with an expression which no human tongue could describe. Monsieur, said the brigadier, then what this man said was true. We met him. He was going like a man who was running away and we arrested him in order to see he had this silver. And I told you, interrupted the bishop with a smile, that it had been given him by a good old priest with whom he had passed the night. I see it all, and you brought him back here. It is all a mistake. If that is so," said the brigadier, "we can let him go." Certainly," replied the bishop. The gendarmes released Jean Valjean, who shrank back. Now that—that that is what grace and mercy looks like. Christ doesn't only forgive us for the wrongs that we have done. Not only does he forgive us for our sins, but he gives us so much more. There was Jean Valjean, a man who was waiting to be imprisoned once more. And the grace of this bishop said, take it. In fact, take more. You're free to go. And that's what Jesus offers us. Not only will he take our sins, but he will give us so much more. And they say, you're free to go. And on that day, when we stand before him in judgment, Jesus will look at us and say, my child, you're free to go. It's not amazing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are a God of grace and mercy. And we are sinners in need of your grace. Lord, help us to see that. That only through your work of the Spirit that you will show us our need of salvation. Holy Spirit, come. Open our eyes. If we need to be blinded by the light to see you, then come. That we may in turn entrust our lives to you Lord, you give us so much more. Not only do you forgive us our sins, but you give us eternal life. You give us a life worth living. You give us a purpose and a plan. That is a life that we've always meant to live, but how we forfeit it by desiring and choosing our sin over that life. Forgive us, Lord. Open our eyes to see you for who you truly are. And may we see our need for Jesus. May we come to you. Let our hearts be changed, renewed, and turned to you. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We stand to sing our closing hymn. Lord, I come to you. Let my heart be changed, renewed. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this day and forevermore. Amen.